0: believe it is a story taken out of history, all you can say about it is that it's a testimony to the power of God. Last time I was here we read of four youths who lived over two and a half thousand years ago. They were royal teenagers who had been kidnapped by an invading army, taken on a long trek to Babylon for training in Babylonian knowledge and culture. These young men turned down good food and wine to honour the Lord, an action that could have been seen as treason. And God, in turn, worked in their lives, giving them understanding so they excelled and they stood out in their learning and abilities. God protected them and honoured them and helped them to be outstanding in the king's court not only for Nebuchadnezzar. One of the youths was Daniel, who not only survived, but we read he remained... um, He not only survived, but he remained in key government roles for more than 60 years through two or three different ruling nations there taking over the country. These young men chose to live for God at the potential cost of their reputation. They're expectantly obedient to God's ways as they face challenges that were beyond themselves, but not beyond the God they served, the same God that we serve today. I want to ask you, does the way that you approach life reflect who you worship? That's my topic today as we look at these young men. How do you think when you're alone, by yourself, and facing a massive challenge, a life and death challenge? Let's pray. Our loving Father, we're all living in life. We face uncertain times. Father, before us today, we have an account of some young men who followed you, who trusted you, who believed in you, and believed that because you have chosen them and placed them where they were, that you would provide the answers that they need for life. Father, as we look at this passage this morning, we ask that we each may grab hold of this fact, that you care for us. And as we read, as we listen, as we think about it, Father, we ask that you would impact each one of us for your glory. For we ask it in your name. Amen. In this chapter, we read that as graduates from the Babylon University having studied the wisdom and knowledge of the Babylonians and having been the top of the class and graduated with first class distinctions, they're part of the elite group the king relied on for advice when he needed it. Or they were supposed to be a part of that group. Now the king has a dream that really worries him. In the Verse 1 tells us, In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. Some people believe that dreams are not relevant today. Maybe that's where you come from. Let me say, that's where I was brought up. Dreams aren't relevant. But I believe we serve a God who wants to connect with people. And God gave me a dream before I went to Papua New Guinea. When I was at university, life was convenient and uh, all I'll say is that it challenged my thinking and when I didn't listen the first time, I had the same dream two weeks later. That was enough for me to stop and think, wait on, is this God communicating? I better listen. And if you go to Papua New Guinea amongst Christian people, there dreams are a part of life. So let me challenge you to just hold this in abeyance. If you don't believe it, God uses dreams in people's lives today. And so whether dreams are relevant or not, that's really a cultural perspective. Many nationals have had life-affecting dreams in Papua New Guinea. And as a missionary, you face challenges. On three occasions, I've had different people ask me if I could interpret dreams or visions. They wanted to know what the message was. And in one case, my village father wanted to know the source of the vision that he had had. You're sitting there in a village and somebody says, Fred, Douglas, can you interpret my dream?" What do you say? Because you're representing God. So what you do has an impact. If somebody says to you down the street, I had a dream that's really worrying me. You go to church, you communicate with God. Can you tell me? You're going to say, oh mate, sorry, I haven't got a clue. I see this chapter that's one that challenges us to look to God for answers. I didn't have any answers. I just said to these people, "Tell me." And um, one, I remember, it was in uh, a uh, hotel in, in Madang. we just had lunch, and I was sitting with the uh, uh, secretary for Education for the province, fairly important man. And, and Christopher said to me, uh, "Douglas, can you interpret dreams?" said, so tell me what you saw. Let me tell you. As he was talking, I was listening. I was also praying. And the Lord enabled me to give him an answer. And I just said, Christopher, I don't have a real answer. But I've been praying for understanding as you've been talking. And I don't know. Let me just share this with you. He didn't say anything. But a few weeks later when I saw him again, Next time I was in Medang, he said, you know, what you shared with me was really important. All I could do was say, thank you, Lord. I'm not talking about a theology of dreams. I'm talking about being a servant of God, thrown a challenge. Let's be honest. Let's not proclaim that we can do something we don't. But God can do amazing things when we look to him and we trust him. The key in this passage is that God was communicating a message to the king and to the world through the king's dream and he provided a man to make that message clear. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He was a spectator and I believe a very and I believe very suspicious that he was watching his power, his position and what he had achieved simply disintegrate. And then another power rendered him puny by comparison. His sense of power and security was shattered. So he summoned his experienced supernatural consultants, or the ones he thought were supernatural consultants, and he told them to reveal all that was going on and what it meant. For some reason, he didn't tell them the dream, as was the custom. Normally, that happened. It was something they depended upon. We're not told why that was the case. Perhaps he recalled parts of the dream, or at least enough of it to be able to judge whether the dream would be interpreted correctly. And as we read, the wise men weren't capable of what he believed they should be capable of, and they kept trying to bring the demand back to a more level playing field. He'd promised them wealth, but they weren't even in a position to go after the wealth he offered. They knew they simply couldn't fulfil his demands. They didn't have a hope, so their focus quickly turned to their own survival. They were desperate. I read that these guys in their studies learned all sorts of patterns and information about dreams, so when called on to interpret a dream, their minds would be comparing what they heard with interpretations that they had learnt. And then they would give their interpretation. A bit like a lawyer going back through case law and determining what outcomes he might be able to argue and what the result might be. But despite their training, they hadn't encountered a demand to start by telling the dream. So they're in deep water. Imagine yourself in this position. What would you do, the wise men kept asking the king to tell the dream, but the king had the upper hand, he insisted that they, a psychics, should be able to divine what he dreamed, and then he'd believe what they said its meaning was, but they, on their part, were way too scared to even hazard a guess because that would show they didn't have a supernatural revelation as the king believed, and things quickly got much worse. But you note their reply in verse 10-11. They answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult. No one can show it to the king except the gods and their dwelling." isn't here with us. Isn't it interesting? They admit they're beaten and in the process they spoke the truth. Was the king impressed by it? No, he was furious. So he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued and to put the wise men to death. The men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Now what if you were Daniel? You were innocent, you hadn't been in there with the king, you hadn't blown it. Where do you look? I mean, where do you seriously look for solutions when the chips are down? How often do we really fear things are beyond redemption when perhaps God is waiting on us to be a part of working his purposes out? Is still capable today of turning people around, sometimes in amazing ways. God wants us to ask him for help and he desires that we recognise who he is and as we ask him for help, it's honouring him. We need to pursue faith. Each one of us, myself included, needs to seek to grow in our faith because nothing is impossible for God. Prayer is a key part of our relationship with God. Prayer that believes God hears us and has the willingness and the ability to answer. How often do you pray, looking to God to make a difference in your situation, all the situations in others that you know. Or maybe for somebody who's stubborn and he's lost and he's hopeless or she's stubborn and lost and hopeless. were you like the people in the village. We were talking about an old character one day and, and my friend Kunamang, who was a church leader. So I said something about God can turn Sega around. And Kunamang said, Douglas, you don't know what goes on in that man's mind. Nothing. Can turn him around. Well, maybe I'll tell you about it another day. But let me tell you that old man, I believe, died and went to heaven. But there's a different there's a story that happens between those things. We serve an amazing God. These guys were living out a spiritual battle. Yes, it was a physical battle. But as these guys live as God's servants in Babylon, in a pagan culture, we're going to see tensions and more tensions between them. It's not just physical. It's also spiritual. And here God was setting the stage for his first great revelation to Nebuchadnezzar of his reality, of his omniscience, his ability to know everything, And of his power. God was in control and he was showing up the opposition for what it was. He was setting the scene by way of contrast for what he had planned. So when Arioch came to escort Daniel and his friends to death row, Daniel revealed an astonishing measure of courage and faith, particularly for a young man. Remember, these guys are only teenagers, they had come. To Babylon. They've been carted off to Babylon. They went through three years of schooling. So he's probably eighteen to twenty. So don't be thinking it's just for older folk. It's for whoever. The challenge of faith and action is for all of God's people. Daniel asked why has the king? done this. And then he asked to go to the king and he asked the king for time so that he can interpret the dream for him. And this was granted. Wouldn't you agree that's a bit odd? There you send out an order to wipe out all these people and this Jew comes and says, can you give me time and I'll tell you? I think it's absolutely amazing. An innocent young man facing the death sentence asked a despotic king who everyone quaked before for time to reveal the mystery but let me tell you daniel knew who he was daniel was not relying on what he saw he believed god controlled the supernatural and god would reveal the answer there was not a bizarre happening god's purpose was behind this mess now it was interesting in the last in chapter 1 these guys came and they are all renamed. Daniel was renamed Belteshazzar, maybe for this time. Belteshazzar, we're told, signifies the keeper of secret treasure. Had God even overseen what Daniel was renamed by the king, As now he was known as the keeper of secret knowledge and he is now the one, named by the king, asking for an extension of time. And the king granted it. I'd like to encourage you, the way we live our life, especially when the chips are down, shows how we're walking with God as his people. Do we believe that God can and does act in the unseen realms? God's man was living and ruling in a secular nation in a way that must have challenged those around him that God not only exists but is powerful and honours those who honour him. We might say, well, where did a young fellow like this get his faith from? Was it that he and the others likened themselves to Joseph who, as you remember, was also taken to another country to serve the pharaoh there? God had given him wisdom and understanding and used him to eventually save the nation that he was serving and his own family. From a human perspective, this challenge was huge. But for God, it was no more difficult to reveal the dream and then the interpretation than to just reveal the interpretation. The secret of Daniel's great faith and power is that he had his eyes on God and he did not doubt that God could disclose both the dream and the interpretation. Whereas our natural tendency is too often to shrink back when it comes to praying for what to our eyes seems impossible. But when we trust God for solutions and we see him act, we soon recognise the power of prayer rests with him. You know, I'm impressed. We have missionaries in dangerous places Ian and Dorcas Dines, you might have heard of them, working in Pakistan in a Christian bookshop in a country that's largely Muslim where they're bombing Christian bookshops and bombing Christian things. And yet, as Ian said just before he left, I look after the cars they use and he brought the keys back and I commented to him and he said, well, we're there by the grace of God and we're there for as long as God wants us to to live there. That's faith. There are other people working in dangerous places, equally as dangerous. Andrew and Susie Vines, had they come up here at all and talked to you? You know, and there's, there's Paul and Anthea Pierce, I believe it is, um, I'm trying to think of the, the country where they are, but it's one of these where the Muslim terrorists have taken over, the capital's taken over, they can't get down to the The capital, they're up in the hills. They're trying to go to Europe. Where do they go to get to Europe? They've got to drive their vehicles through into Oman and and something. That means they've got to have the currencies for these places. They've got to have fuel to get there. They've got to have trust that God can take them there. Many people would have simply evacuated. These guys, guys are there serving the Lord. So as we think of Daniel, let's be praying for them because they're modern-day Daniels serving in places that look impossible to live and function in, and yet they're there because they believe they're meant to be there. God does act today. God's man was living and ruling in a secular nation. Daniel got his faith from God, from seeing how others had lived before God. When we trust God for solutions and we see him act, we soon recognise the power of prayer rests with him. In verses 17 to 19, Daniel knew this too. The four young men asked God to reveal a dream. God did so in a night vision. Was it both the dream and the interpretation? Regardless, Daniel knew in his spirit that God had answered. Then we read that Daniel's first response was to bless the God of heaven. Our relationship with God is key, as it was for these young men. The more we know God ourselves, the more we'll see his hand at work. Note the expression of ministry to Daniel to others in Daniel's actions. Before he approached Arioch, he pled for the life, before he approached the king he said to Arioch, don't kill these other young people. Don't kill these other magicians. He was focused on their well-being. It wasn't his own survival that he was focused on. They'd failed. There was Um, competition, if it had been them, I'll bet they would let Daniel be killed and then they'd give the answer. But that's not how God's man acted. Daniel's alliance is clear. He gave God the glory, but not in a way that threatened the king, but rather to point him to the true source of power. In all of this, Daniel was living his life Before the throne of God, he answered Nebuchadnezzar in the way that Joseph had answered Pharaoh many hundreds of years before, giving all the glory to God. Genesis forty-one sixteen tells us it's uh, Joseph's response to Pharaoh. He says, "I cannot do it." Joseph replied to Pharaoh, "But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires." Likewise, Daniel states. No man, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner, can explain to the king the mystery he is asked about. But there's a God in heaven. He was distinguishing the Lord from all the other idols that they believed in. The God of heaven has shown you this dream so you will know where you are. In his plan of things, Nebuchadnezzar was a powerless spectator watching his rule in history. He was the head of gold of a huge statue made of different metals, which he knew and understood. But a rock, supernaturally carved from a mountain, hit it and shattered the statue and pulverized it. As we read, it was like chaff on a threshing floor. It was powdered and it blew away in the wind. An utterly bewildering scene. There was and is today a power at work that is much greater. No wonder this mighty king Nebuchadnezzar was concerned. He knew it and was very uncomfortable having a dream about being wiped off the face of the earth. The God of heaven will establish the ultimate kingdom that no one will destroy. This is what we as God's people are a part of. His kingdom and rule that will not be destroyed. You think of China. How the communists came in, they kicked out all the missionaries, they suppressed the people. How many Christians are in China today? What's God been doing since the 1940s? Are you aware there's about a 100 million Christians in China today? God is at work. This is the same God we're reading about here. Daniel shared the honour with his colleagues and through this unlikely situation, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. It's interesting the the switch, you know, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. They are suddenly switched over um, and given their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, appointed them as administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained in the royal court. We too live in a nation which seems to have lost any spiritual direction or recognition that there is a God who rules this universe and also that he has a purpose for each one of us. As we go about life this week, let us remember what we're really about. God has a purpose for you and for me. He has a purpose for each one of his people. Let each of us look to God and walk with him. Let us determine to walk with him so that when things appear to be beyond us, we look expectantly to him in faith for his help to resolve each in every challenging situation we face. I trust that each one here recognises this. We as God's people are different. If you're not sure of how God sees you, well, let's have a talk after the service. But if you belong to God, you are special and you serve a mighty God. Let's pray. Our loving Father, We're amazed at how you work. We're sometimes shocked at the situations you put us into. But Lord, we're amazed at how you can turn things around. Father, we pray that this week as we go into life and in the days ahead, you would help us to remember this account, to remember that you work in ways that are beyond what mankind can see and you work things out for your glory. Lord, as your servants help us each one to be open and to be trusting and to grow with you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.